love your enemies, lose an hour of sleep. Who's happy they're here today? Little Stephen was a toddler who loved his big sister, Anna, but didn't always know how to show it. One day, mom heard a scream coming from the playroom and walked in to find Stephen with a handful of Anna's hair. And she was contorted, trying to keep from hurting any more than she had to. As mom gently, gently released Stephen's hand from his grasp on her hair, she turned to Anna and she said, you know, he doesn't know it hurts. She left the room, not Ten seconds later, she heard another scream. It was Stephen this time. She walked back in and said, what happened? Anna said, he knows now. There is a little Anna inside of all of us, isn't there? I mean, we want to get back. What we're doing with this whole thing of loving your enemies, this whole this whole thing came from the Butts of the Bible series. It's not about weight loss. It's not about the biggest jerks of the Bible. This is about this little three-letter word, as you saw in our intro, this little three-letter word that was very edgy, where Jesus would say, you've heard a religious teaching, but I say to you, But I say to you, and it was shocking every time, every time it was shocking. My wife and I were at the movies the other day and, uh, you know, we're there, some friends and, you know, they they show the previews at the beginning and you kind of like instantly you're like drawn to the preview and you're like, I'm kind of interested. This might be a good movie. Or you're like, well, that looks dumb. Let's talk to our friends. Right. So this, this movie preview comes on. Maybe you've been to the movies recently. You've seen this and it's like civil war, but Civil War times, but there are these dark creatures and there's this weird violence going on. And you're like, wow, I'm not looking. I don't care about this movie. And so we start to, you know, we're talking to each other. And then all of a sudden it gets to the end. And so you're kind of drawn back in and the title scrolls up. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Have you seen it? Have you seen a preview for it? And the whole crowd, it's a real movie. I'm not making this up. We're looking for Ashton Kutcher. We're like, what, what, what? Well, we getting punked. And the whole crowd is just busting out laughing because, I mean, you know, that's ridiculous. And I believe that the same reaction happened to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that that's exactly what was going on. Jesus was like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, did he just say that? Oh, no, he did. Oh, yes, he did. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, it's the same thing. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have adultery in your heart, you have lust in your heart, it's still hurting your marriage the same way. You've heard it said, divorce is okay if you make it official. But I say to you, divorce is not God's will. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Revenge is okay as long as it's equal. But I tell you, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. And I can't help but think that the crowd's reaction was the same as the reaction that uh, we all had in the theater. You know, Abraham Lincoln, vampire slayer. Seriously. Let me explain this, though. Jesus didn't just come to give us salvation. We talk about that a lot. Obviously, we're going to have nine Easter services at our Orland campus, plus a bunch at Lockport. I mean, there are going to be a lot of people here pretty soon celebrate the fact that there is resurrection from the dead, that there is heaven. And we are excited about that. But Jesus did not just come to give us heaven. He came to bring us the kingdom of heaven, which he said starts now. 
The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's what he was coming to bring us. And and that's not just about salvation. I'm very thankful for that. We had some rough funerals here this week. There have been some deaths in our area. There have been tragic. I'm very, very thankful for the hope of heaven. But heaven starts now. Jesus said, I have come to bring life and that you could have life to the full. Okay, that's what's really, really important. So Jesus comes along and he doesn't really follow the regular rules very much. And everybody's a little confused as to why Jesus doesn't follow the rules. And they're like, you know, I mean, t- tell me about the Tell me about this whole life that you've come to bring because it's not making sense. So Jesus preaches this sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want to. I'm going to be in uh, the later part of Matthew chapter five. But at the beginning, he gives us the Beatitudes and he says, look, let me explain this. OK, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. This isn't about salvation. This isn't about this isn't about heaven and hell and where you're going to go and all those kinds of things. This is about the kingdom of heaven that starts now. Anyone who breaks these commands will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you now, listen to this one. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. How's that for a sermon intro? No stories about toddlers, no current movie illustrations, just, hey, God's way is the best way, and and I promise you it's going to be the best thing in your life, but the only way that you're going to experience it is if you are actually better than the professional religious leaders who have made rule following into a national pastime. And they all went, no way. That's not even possible. And Jesus said, Yeah, way. It is very possible because these people that follow the rules on the outside, their insides are like, he said, dead men's bones. They're like a tomb that looks all nice on the outside, but inside are dead bones. He said they're like a cup that's washed all clean on the outside, but the inside is all filthy. What I've come to bring you is a new operating system, a new way of life where you change from the inside. And if you change the inside, the outside is not going to be a problem. See, what we've talked about here for pretty much since Christmas is that religion is about what God wants from you, but Jesus is about what God wants for you. That's the difference. This is what Jesus said is going to be your best life. So here's our but for the day as we finish this whole thing up. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the first question is, really? I mean, where did they hear that? Because did God tell them to hate their enemy? No. This is something that they made up. Okay, I want to explain this just first briefly so that you understand. Here's what God said. Love your neighbor, absolutely. Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, we get that, right? But they were taking a very narrow interpretation of neighbor, like a lot of people do 
a lot of times, okay? Like white Americans did in our country 50 years ago, and some of them even to this day. Like people who go, uh, uh, this is my race, and, and they're, they're my neighbors, and they're my people. This is my religious group, and they're my people, and I don't have to worry about anybody else. As a matter of fact, a rabbi from Jesus' day literally said this, if a Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. This is not your neighbor. Let the Gentiles drown, okay? That's not from God. That was one of the rabbis trying to twist around the teaching of loving your neighbor, and the only people I have to love are my neighbors. The truth of the matter is God said in another place in the Old Testament, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure and take it back to him, okay? And if you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. God was never... Allow, going to allow us to hate our enemies. That's ridiculous. But that was the teaching that, was, that they heard. That was what they were listening to at this point. So Jesus is dealing with a falsehood this time. It's not even an Old Testament law, but it was a common practice of the day. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, here it is, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And they were like, Abraham Lincoln, vampire slayer, right? Jesus, they're my enemies for a reason. They did something to me. They've hurt me. They've wronged me. They did me dirty. Uh, how do you expect me to do that? Now, I've got to ask you a question as we jump into this. Did anybody come to mind immediately? I mean, we've already opened up this topic pretty well, so you kind of understand what we're going to talk about. So maybe this didn't just jolt you. But I ask you this question because here's the deal. The, the, the faster somebody came to mind for you, the more you need to listen to Jesus' teaching. Some of you are going to be like, oh, you know, there, there wasn't anybody really there. I'm like Raymond. Everybody loves me. You know, I'm Mr. Rogers. I mean, I, I don't have any enemies. For the rest of you, you, you know, you need to think about a couple of things, okay? Number one, do you have any enemies? N number two, do, you know, are there people that you don't like? Or number two, are there people that you don't like because of what they did to somebody else? Maybe they didn't do something to you, but they're your enemy because they hurt somebody you love. Or number three, is there somebody that has something against you? For whatever reason. I mean, I can think of a few people. I don't have anything against them, but they don't like me. They, they would not mind if I took a mission job in Siberia. You know what I'm saying? And maybe it's because I rub them the wrong way. Maybe I actually did something to them, but they're my enemy because they have something against me. Maybe you don't want to fight them, but they want to fight you. I mean, you can think of all these different categories. Let me ask it this way, okay? Yeah, I, want, I want you to identify somebody because we're going to do something about it today. I want to ask you, is there anybody in your life that if you walked into Dominic's and you saw them and they didn't see you, you would actually try to avoid them? You would go down a different aisle. You could accidentally find yourself in the feminine hygiene section and not even care because you don't want to be around that person. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies if you have some. He said, love your enemies. There's going to be somebody that you have a harder time loving than anybody else. Okay? And one of the things I love about this teaching is that what Jesus does here is he doesn't just say, blanket, love your enemies. He makes us do something a little more specific. And I know this is going to sound churchy and Bible-y and all that to you. But what he says is, love your enemies and what? And pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who don't like you. I know you, you're going to hear that and you're going to like, I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them to burn in hell. I'll pray for them to get smallpox. I understand. 
And so does Jesus. He understands that it's not natural. What Jesus is saying is, I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven for the inside. I want you to have something different from life on the inside. Pray for those who persecute you. As I was thinking about that this week, the only thing I could think of as an illustration was Christmas carol. I mean, it's not that far since Christmas, and and at some point you all get Christmas carol along the way. And do you remember when Bob Cratchit is sitting at Christmas Eve dinner having an argument with his wife because he wants to to pray for Scrooge. Even though Scrooge is his enemy, his cheapskate boss that he doesn't like, who treats him bad, Bob Cratchit says, we need to pray for Scrooge. And she's like, no, we're not praying for Scrooge. In my mind, it's Miss Piggy and Kermit having this, because my wife makes me watch Muppet Christmas Carol every year. But you get what I'm saying, okay? That was a perfect illustration of Dickens saying, this is actually what Jesus was saying, is that you should pray for somebody who is treating you badly. Now, let me put you over to another piece of passage, another piece of scripture in Romans, where Paul kind of goes a little bit farther with this to help you with this. Here we go. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, Paul says. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know you, you, you got stuck on the fire heaping thing, right? You're like, fire heaping? Is that one of the X-Men? I want to be that, right? Abraham Lincoln, fire heaper. Let's do. Tell me how. Tell, let me explain, okay? Um, before you get all excited, you need to understand some nuances of ancient culture. This is actually in reference to an Egyptian tradition that these people would have known about that you don't of repentance. What the Egyptians would do is they would get a pan of hot coals. If they felt guilty for something, if they'd been convicted for something, or they were feeling repentant of something, and in, in Jesus' day, people would sit in sackcloth and ashes as a symbol of repentance. I know it doesn't make any sense to us, but you need to understand what he was referring to. And what they would do is they would put a pan of burning coals on their head, and they would literally walk around with it as a symbol of repentance in their life. What Paul is saying here is that what will happen to you if, you, if you can figure out how to do this, what will happen to you is that you will actually put your enemy in a position where they might understand that they've done something wrong to you. Here's the problem. Somebody does something wrong to me. My natural reaction is to do something wrong back to them, to which they feel justified in doing something wrong back to me. And here we are. And this is the balance, right? This is the way that it keeps working over and over. These are the rules of engagement and fighting. You do something, I come back. You do something, I come back. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying in this passage is, if you will feed them and and give them something to drink, Jesus says if you pray for them, if you love them, what you're actually doing is throwing them completely off balance. Like we talked about last week with turn the other cheek and going the extra mile. You're going to throw them off balance and they're going to go, whoa, wait a minute. There's something different about this person. And what may happen, and they may be a jerk, okay? Let's just, let's just deal with this. They may be a horrible, nasty, no good person. But what might happen is they might go, wow, I didn't even realize that I'd done that. And that's not a bad person and maybe I should feel bad about it. They're not going to go around with a pan of coals on their head, but they, they may actually have the feeling that they understand that they did something wrong. Either way, not the point. It's not the point. You shouldn't love your enemy. You shouldn't pray for your enemy. You shouldn't feed or, 
or give water to your enemy because you want them to feel bad or, or, or you want something to happen to them. The question is the last part that you missed out on because you didn't get past fire heaping, and that is this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Am I going to overcome evil or am I going to be overcome by it? That is the question. And the kingdom of heaven is, yes, it's about the impact that we're going to have on the people around us. But ultimately, the kingdom of heaven impact is about us. When things go wrong between me and another person, I've got to decide how I'm going to react to it. Am I going to be overcome by evil or am I going to overcome the evil? And you say, well, PT, why would I do this? How am I ever going to get on Jerry Springer, right? Well, let me ask you something. A, why are you watching Jerry Springer? You're probably going to hell. And B, why, why have you ever seen anybody on Jerry Springer that was happy? Besides Jerry? I mean, obviously. Do, do you see anybody that's walking around with that rules of engagement, with the hatred going on in their life? Do you see anybody like that that seems happy? Because I never do. And yet Jesus said five times as he was talking to us, he said, be of good cheer. Jesus said, I want my joy to be in you and I want it to be full. Jesus could find a way in this new paradigm, in this new operating system. He could find a way of saying, you know what? People are abusing me, but I'm still going to be full of joy. I'm still okay. And that's what he wants for us. Listen to this. You might even want to write this down. It is impossible for a human being to hate someone and still be joyful. It is impossible for a human being to hate someone and still be joyful. Because it consumes us, it consumes our lives. You have to decide if you're going to be overcome by evil or overcome evil with good. Those are your choices. Now let me pause and say something on behalf of justice in the world. Because this is what happened last week. I, I, I threw this question out because some of you are like, well, wait a minute, what, what do we do about human injustice? Uh, what are law enforcement people supposed to do? How does this whole thing work? My wife and I watched a very, very hard movie this past week about um, sex trafficking in Eastern Europe. And it just, I mean, I, I went to bed, my blood was just boiling. I, even as I think about it now, I, I, I can't imagine what some people in the world do to other people in the world. Can you? I mean, I really can't. And when it comes to young children... I think Jesus would agree with me because Jesus said it would be better for you to have a big rock, a millstone, hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to harm one of these children of mine. Okay? This has to stop. We're going to be a part of the solution. We're going to, we have a big meeting tomorrow with some people that we're working on trying to figure out how to start this safe house for sex trafficked girls, and it's going to be in our area. If you aren't a part of Coney 2012, you guys know Coney 2012. Uh, it's awesome. You got to get it. You got to get involved in this. I just want to shout out to that. Just write that down and go look it up. It's this guy that made a video about Joseph Coney, this horrible warlord in Uganda that needs to be stopped. Okay, you pray for that guy in a different way. I want you to understand that. They made this video, so that, and there's like billions of people that are seeing this video, and they're going to understand that this is God, that we, we are a call to peace and we are a call to action at the same time. Okay, and it's got to, we've got to be motivated to do something about this. And Jesus walked into the temple with a whip that he made out of cords and he started overturning the money changers tables because there's a time that injustice has to stop. Okay. 
But here's the difference. So I don't pray for Joseph Coney. I don't pray for those people the same way that I'm going to pray for my enemies. Here's the difference. Those same people that Jesus went in and overturned their tables, when they crucified him to a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You see the differentiation? Martin Luther King said, love is the only way to make an enemy into a friend. I'm not talking about injustice in the world. I'm not talking about those things. Those are, those are prayers that need to be different. I'm talking about me. What is my reaction going to be? When, I, when I'm overcome by evil, it's taking up a giant amount of space in my life. But when I overcome evil with good, it changes their life maybe, but it changes my life most importantly. And there is no third option. You can't just say, well, I'm just not going to worry about it. There is no third option. You've got to decide which way it's going to go. Let's go on. Jesus goes on. It gets worse. (laughs) But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Hold on to that phrase. God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, he loves, takes care of everybody equally the same. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Even the worst sinners in the world, the tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that? And then he finishes up with this one. Be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Great sermon, Harlow. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect. Can we have communion and get out of here? I already lost an hour of sleep. You're bugging me. I get it. I get it. Okay. But hang on a second. We're going to teach you everything Jesus commanded. And here's the problem with that verse in the NIV. Okay. I know I quoted it out of NIV because that's what a lot of you will use. And I think it's a great translation. But the truth is the original Greek word is teleos there. It should not be translated be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Teleos meant mature. It meant whole. It meant complete. It is exactly the same word that the Hebrew writer used when he said milk is for infants and solid food is for the mature, okay? I don't know why they translated this one perfect instead of mature, but what he is saying is be mature, be sons of your father in heaven. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to start looking more and more like God. Teleos is the same root word for which we get the word telescope. Telescope brings us closer to the thing that we want to see, okay? Teleos, being mature, is about being closer to who God is and who God wants us to be. And Jesus is saying, when you love your enemies, you're becoming more and more like God. Love your enemies and you will be more fulfilled and more complete. You've heard it said this, but this is what I'm really talking about. I want you to break the cycles of vengeance. I want you to break the cycles of bitterness. I want you to throw off the rules of engagement and act like a grown-up. And be more like God. Um, I have this sign up here because this is one of our mantras as a church here. This is something we think is really, really important. The sign, come as you are. We want, we want everybody to come as they are. We, we don't want you to feel like you have to get dressed up or, or don't feel like you don't have to get dressed up. We don't want you to feel like you have to clean up your act to come in here. You should come in here as a prodigal, as an adulterer, as a murderer, as any of these things that we've talked about. You should feel like you should come as you are. But you can't stay as you were. I mean, that's not the goal to stay there. 
This sign will always be out. We want you to be here. But the whole goal of Jesus in your life, and it's not so that you can make God happy and he'll take you to heaven. The goal of Jesus in your life is to have the kingdom of heaven inside of you because it's the best way to live. Don't stay as you are. Become the person that God wanted you to be. Being a Christian ought to change you. Jay Leno told of being behind a car one time where there was a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. And he was like, I, you know, we were sitting at a stoplight, so I lightly tapped on my, on my thing. I mean, you know, I just thought I'd see what happened. He said the guy leaned out his window, turned around and said, the light's still red, you moron. <laughs> Come as you are, but don't stay that way, man. Come on. John told us, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a, I want you to say it out loud, a liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't love God and hate your brother. John said that. Okay, that this is really important for you to understand that, that we don't get to go to heaven because of what we do. But this we go to heaven because of the cross. And we're going to sing about that right now. We're going to spend a moment on that. But God really, really wants us. To learn to grow in our Christian's life. And as, as, a, as a staff, as the leaders of Parkview, we want you to grow in your Christian life. Not because we want you to be good enough to get somewhere someday. Because we know it's the best way for you to live. And that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's what we're going to do. The beautiful thing about this passage is, I mean, sometimes God's tells us things and and Jesus tells us things and we listen and we're like, okay, we're going to go out and do that. We don't have to wait. Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for them. So we're going to spend a little time in worship focusing on the cross and remembering what Jesus forgave us for when we were sinners and we were his enemy. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to lead us in a prayer for our enemies. During this time right now, I would encourage you to spend some time with God, get your heart right, and maybe focus in on somebody that you think maybe the worst enemy you can't do this yet but i want you to think of somebody the the avoiding somebody in dominic's thing the somebody that you don't like they don't like you the enemy person that you can focus in on when we come back from here i'm going to lead you in a prayer nobody's going to levitate i'm not going to ask you to pray out loud nothing weird's going to happen but i'm going to lead you in a prayer for your enemies after we spend some time in worship before we do this let me uh I read you a story. It actually came out of uh, came out of CBS News, believe it or not, uh, from Minneapolis. The reporter wrote, "In a small apartment building in northern Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for seemingly no apparent reason. Indeed, he said, if anyone were to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child." My son was gone, she said, and the killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. She said, I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. He was tried as an adult, sentenced to 25 and a half years. O'Shea served 17 of those years before being released. He now lives back in his old neighborhood next door to Mary. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, the reporter wrote as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way she could forgive her son's killer. 
O'Shea said, I think the first thing she said to me was, look, you don't know me and I don't know you. Let's just start with right now and get to know each other. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. And when he got out, she introduced him to her landlord who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close. They are close. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning. I'm still growing. And to that end, O'Shea is busy proving himself to himself. He works at a plant during the day, goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it. The reporter said, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Mary was able to forgive And she credits God, of course, but also concedes a more selfish motive. This is why this was interesting to me for this topic. Unforgiveness is like cancer, Mary says. It eats you from the inside. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but forgiveness is for me. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to think of a person. Maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a current, maybe it's a girl at school, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a neighbor. I don't know who it is. This is not my prayer for Joseph Coney. This is not my prayer for the people who are hurting innocent people. This is, this is for me and my enemies. And if you're Mr. Rogers, just think of whoever it is that you think might have something against you, somebody you'd want to avoid in Dominic's. And if you don't have any of those, just think of somebody that's a little harder for you to love than everybody else and put them at the top of this list and I'm going to lead you in a prayer for them right now because that's what Jesus told us to do. Let's pray together. God, first of all, we want to pray for the relationships of this person, the most important things in their life. We want to ask that you'd be with their marriage if they have a a spouse, that you be with their kids or their parents or, or their siblings or whoever it is that's in their close inner circle, that you would bless them and bless their relationships. Secondly, Lord, we want to ask you to bless their occupation, whether they're in school or they've got a job or whatever it is that consumes most of their day, Lord, would you please bless that? We, we pray financially that you will bless this person and their life. If we can't feed them or give them something to drink, we want that to happen. We pray for the person's health, Lord, physical health, that their, that their body would be well, their mind would be well. We pray for their happiness, Lord, and the joy in their life, that you would bring good things to them, cause rain to fall on them when they need nourishment, cause the sun to shine on them when they need the vitamin D of your son. We pray for good in their life. Lord, lastly, we pray for this person's soul and their spirit not from selfish motives, not necessarily because we want to heap coals of fire on their head and make them feel bad for what they did, but because we really care about where they spend eternity. We really do care about them. We pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would come into their life in a very powerful way and that if we can still have a possibility of a relationship with them, that we would cause the off-balance rules of engagement to come into play so that they look at us and go, wow, why, why would you turn the other cheek? Why would you go the second mile? Why would you give me your cloak when I just wanted your tunic? Why would you love me and pray for me and feed me? Who are you? To which we can tell them, 
I'm a servant of Jesus who did all those things for me when I didn't deserve it. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Your precious name of Jesus. Amen. It's not going to change overnight, people. I mean, I believe in the power of God to come in and fix everything. I really do. But probably, if that was a hard person for you, again, this may be a a nasty person that you just prayed for. And that may have been the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. I understand that. And your heart towards them may not change. I don't think it changed for Mary in that story that I just read overnight. It's going to take time, but eventually it will. Because you'll start thinking of the things you can pray for the person instead of the negative things that they did to you. And this new operating system inside of you, it'll change everything. Am I going to overcome evil or am I going to be overcome by evil? As we close, we're going to do communion, and I just feel compelled to move sideways just a little bit, because I know a lot of you grew up thinking, well, if I could just get all these things right, God's going to love me, and God's going to take me to heaven, and that's not what this is about. This is about living the kind of life that he called us to and being mature. Being great in the kingdom of heaven is not about getting to heaven. It's about living like God wanted us to. It's been a rough week around here. We had two hard funerals right here in in this room this week one yesterday for for joe who uh had an accident on his motorcycle and passed away and he was much too young and um, another one last thursday a lot of those kids that were involved in the pipeline explosion um down in new lennox were connected to parkview in one way or another and um we had the funeral for zach Orell on thursday night Zach was 25. He was a firefighter in Posen. It was an unbelievable service. Full bagpipes, dressed firefighters, trucks out front with the American flag hanging between the ladders. It was very, very emotional, very, very fitting. But I said the same thing at both of those funerals that I want to say to you right now. It was especially appropriate with Zach as a firefighter, as a person who would have gladly laid down his life for somebody else as a firefighter, as would any of our public servants. They're a different breed. They understand sacrifice. But I said to that crowd on Thursday night, and it was a crowd in here, I said to that crowd, listen to me, I don't believe that Zach is in heaven because he was a good person because he would have laid down his life for someone else if he had needed to. I believe that Zach is in heaven because he accepted the sacrifice of somebody else who laid down his life for us and paid the ultimate price for our sins. That whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. Please don't mix these up. If you look at all these things, all these buts that we've talked about for the last five weeks, and and you're like, man, I don't know how I can do this. Let me tell you two things. Number one, you can't do this. And number two, you will be able to do this through Jesus Christ alone. But the most important thing I could tell you at communion right now is as we pass these trays across, it doesn't matter how good you are at it. You get to heaven. You get the kingdom of heaven by accepting the free gift of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And it is by grace alone that you are saved. Let's pray. 
Father, we do want to be your sons and daughters. We do want to be like you. We don't want to come as we are and leave as we are. We want to, we want to go out and be different. We want to be mature. We want to be more like you. We want the telescope to zoom us in on who you are and let us be more like you. That's what we want. That is our desire. And we ask for your spirit to come in and to help us to do that. But as, as we come to communion right now, all we can do is be reminded of how far short we fall of your glory. How far short we are. How all, all of our righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags compared to you. And so that's why, Jesus, you had to die on the cross for me. So that you could pay for my sins. And Lord, I just, I just want to pray for the hearts of anybody in this room who doesn't know if they have you, they, they don't, they maybe they've just never opened up their life to you and said, I want this. I pray that right now they will do that. Not to try to earn their way in, just to say, I want to be a follower of you, Jesus. I accept your gift of salvation. I ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to make you my Lord and my Savior. Lord, for all of us right now as we commune, we're just one more time as we pass these trays with the bread and the juice, we're reminded of the ultimate price that you paid for our sins and the way that you could look down and say, Father, forgive them. Help us to be those people or followers of you. I ask these things in your name.